Hello, Thomas. How are you doing, my friend? Hi, Sean. Hi. I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on your show. Great. And thank you for spending time with us. And can you just tell the little viewers a bit about you first? Um, I'm a journalist and writer. I'm based in uh, Rome, uh, Italy. And uh, I mainly write for uh, Unheard, uh, which is a British magazine these days, and uh, Compact, which is an American magazine. And I write about a variety of topics, uh, you know, economics, geopolitics, a um, bit, um, bit of everything really these days. And how long have you had that career then? What got you into it? Oh, I've been doing this for uh, more than 10 years. Um, started out actually in documentary filmmaking. I uh, did a few documentaries, uh, yeah, now more than a decade ago. And then just kind of transitioned from uh, video journalism to written journalism just because it's, uh, you know, it's it's a one-man show. You don't need to set up a, you know, <laughs> a big um, a big circus every time you want to make a, you know, you want to tell a story, uh, which was the hard part about making documentaries. Uh, when it's in writing, it's much easier, you know. It's just all you need is two hands. And um, so, yeah, so I've been doing that for quite some time now. So, Thomas, the United Nations, you know, sounds like a mm. body for world peace and goodness and positivity. Mm. What is your mm. view on the United Nations? Well, um, when it, in general, I think the United Nations has uh, evolved um, a lot for the worse um, in recent years and um decades um i think it you know started out with uh good intentions uh you know as um as a true you know as an international um avenue for uh discussion and cooperation um that has changed quite a bit um over the years we've seen um you know the most powerful countries uh within uh the united nations uh completely disregard the institution um i would say first and foremost um, the so-called, you know, upholders of the uh, so-called rules-based uh, order, uh, i.e. the U.S. and its Western allies, which, uh, you know, even simply over the past 20 years have, you know, completely disregarded the uh, international um, legal framework of the U.N. engaging in a series of illegal invasions and aggressions. That has rendered the U.N. Um, increasingly irrelevant, uh, or at least it's revealed the U.N. to be an instrument that is uh, strong with the weak and weak with the powerful. Uh, and that goes for another of similar emanations, uh, you know, at the international level, we, you know, we, we could make a, make a similar argument, for example, for the international criminal court, which seems to be more than happy to go after um, either small fish or declared enemies of the West, such as Putin nowadays, but has never uh, dared to go after, um, um, you know, Western war criminals such as George Bush or Tony Blair or others of um, of the sort. Um, on top of that, I, you know, the, the UN has also come under the increased influence of uh, you know globalist uh, organizations such as the um, World Economic Forum, uh, for example, uh, entering actually in um, outright partnership with the World Economic Forum. Um, uh, not too long ago. Uh, so clearly, you know, we also see uh, an increased influence within the UN of unaccountable uh, uh, non-democratic organizations such as the WEF, which clearly uh, uh, represent uh, private interests, corporate interests. They definitely don't interest the, represent the interests of the people, but they don't even represent the interests of uh, nations, which, you know, uh, 
uh, especially in where, especially in democratic countries, uh, people you know theoretically have some influence over policy. Uh, these organizations that are completely beholden to uh, um, unaccountable private centers of power, and they have come to you know, exercise an increased power over the UN as well as as well as over other uh, you know organizations, which again I think you know started out. Um, with you know, with with good intentions, such as the World Health Organization, uh, which have seen their you know international nature uh, increasingly you know transform into a uh, supranational um, globalist um, organization, uh, and so this applies to really the entire international framework, which has you know uh, um, really transformed profoundly um, over the past uh, you know two three decades. Uh, and so we've seen this shift from, yes, this kind of internationalist uh, system of organized um, power into an increasingly globalist uh, system of organized power. And it's a very different system because an internationalist system is, at least in theory, uh, you know, uh, has an, an horizontal organization. Globalism is intrinsically uh, vertical. It's a top-down uh, approach to uh, international um, politics. And so I find this to be, you know, a very worrying um, uh, evolution or involution of the uh, of the world system in um, in general. And uh, and then if we go and see, you know, what the, especially you know the peacekeeping missions that the UN has engaged in uh, over the years, um, there, you know, of course, there's there have been instances where they have been um, a force for good. But there are a number of instances where they have actually um, engaged in very, very serious abuses um, of the uh, of the local population, and um, Haiti is unfortunately a um, you know one of the most glaring examples um, of this. Um, so the UN arrived in Haiti in um, two thousand and four, um, um, following a um, a coup, uh, a coup that removed. Uh, the democratically um, elected leader um, at the time, who was um, a, a popular uh, leader, a leader with uh, strong anti-imperialist um, leanings, uh, Jean um, uh, Baptiste Aristide, um, and he, you know, he was the leading figure of the Haitian Democratic Revolution. Um, Haiti hasn't been democratic for very long. Um, uh, and so we need to back up a little here, uh, just to understand, just to you know, put what's happening in Haiti in the longer historical context. Because I think it's easier to look at a country like Haiti, as a number of other of other underdeveloped countries, which seem to be mired in a constant state of poverty, chaos, anarchy, violence, um, and to conclude that you know these countries are just basket cases. It's it's you know it's it's their, it's their own people's fault if they're in the mess they're in. I think when you look at a country like Haiti that, Haiti, that has such a long history of, you know, chaos and upheaval uh, and poverty, uh, I can see why a lot of people make that conclusion. Uh, it seems like when we look at, you know, the state of these countries these days, you've got two camps. You know, you've got the, the woke camp, which tends to uh, blame, you know, every living white person or Western person for all the injustices suffered by black people or non-Western people throughout the centuries. And then you have kind of a diametrically opposed uh, vision, which is, you know, the one held by the kind of anti-woke, red-pilled camp. Um, and they take, 
you know, an equally absurd position, which is that the West has no responsibility whatsoever for, you know, the underdevelopment of large areas of the world. And, you know, both, both camps are equally wrong. Uh, so, of course, you know, living whites or Westerners clearly aren't responsible for what their ancestors did. And in fact, they have relatively little influence over what their governments do even today, uh, I would say. Uh, by the same token, it's equally absurd to state that that you know, Western countries and Western institutions, or even institutions like the UN, have no responsibility for the state of um, of these countries. Uh, if we look at Haiti, I mean, um, because of course people say, oh, but these these countries, you know, they've been, you know, they they obtained independence, uh, you know, seventy years ago, eighty years ago, a century ago. Uh, they've had more than enough time as independent nations to develop. If they haven't managed to do so, it's their own fault. Um, but in fact, you know, Haiti. Yes, formally became independent in 1804. So it's been independent formally for a very long time. In fact, in what it, you know, it made history when it led the most successful, um, uh, the first really successful slave revolt against French colonialism uh, in, you know, um, in 1804, as I said. Uh, it obtained independence formally, but it has in fact remained under the yoke of Western powers ever since. First France, which imposed massive reparations on Haiti, which it took the country almost a year to repay. Um, and then the U.S., which kind of take, took over from France, uh, you know, as a result of the Monroe Doctrine, which essentially, you know, whereby the U.S. bestowed upon itself the right to intervene anywhere in the, um, in the Western Hemisphere, and especially in the Latin American continent in defense of its interests. And it has done that repeatedly in, um, in Haiti. Uh, in 1915, the U.S. Uh, occupies the country. And essentially, uh, you know, with, with the Marines, boots on the ground, military, militarily occupies the country for 20 years. Um, you know, Haiti becomes a, a U.S. protectorate, um, whereby, you know, human rights abuses of all sorts were, were committed. Uh, so we've seen so we, we've seen a lot of wealth being siphoned out of Haiti uh, during the first century of its independence. And then we see the country being denied its, you know, its sovereignty, its right of self-determination. Uh, uh, you know, first through military, through military occupation, then through various forms of financial control. So the U.S. leaves Haiti in 1934, but it continues to uh, exercise financial receivership over the country. So it essentially controls the country's finances until 1946. After 1946, uh, the country is governed by an, essentially a dictatorial dynasty. So for 40 years, um, two people, father and son, um, you know, they, they, they took turns in governing and brutally governing this country um, with the support of the U.S. and in the support of U.S. interests. And um, and and then, you know, the country for, you know, again, formally becomes democratic in 91. So in 91. So not that long ago, the country is finally allowed to hold as a result of a massive democratic upheaval, which overthrows the uh, the Duvalier regime, which had governed for, governed for 40 years. Um, but again, it's denied its right of self-determination. So those first elections in 91 were won by Aristide, the same guy that was then uh, deposed again in 2004. Uh, Aristide doesn't govern very long because a few months after he's elected in 91, uh, he's removed in a coup, um, one of you know several coups that will uh, uh, torment the island. There, there was much talk of, and there still is talk of the CIA having been involved in that first coup in 1991. Um, then Aristide comes to power, and you know um, comes and goes for several years. He becomes he, he remains the main figure 
in Haitian politics. Um, and then he comes to power again in 2001, if I'm not mistaken, and is then removed again in 2004. So, we, you know, we come up to 2004, but it's important to understand why the situation was so bad in 2004 to the point that the, um, uh, the UN was, um, you know, was called in. Um, and that's because of this long history of foreign intervention, foreign destabilization of uh, the country, uh, first and foremost by the U.S. And in fact, in, in 2004, um, Aristide claimed to, um, to have essentially been kidnapped by U.S. Marines that turned up at his house and said, you know, uh, you have to leave. There's a situation is very dangerous. And they essentially you know, forcefully brought him out of the country. This is Aristide's version. But it's confirmed by, you know, other persons, other people that were involved um, that were in Haiti at the time. Um, and uh, even the, the former French ambassador to Haiti uh, subsequently said that, yes, the 2004 coup uh, was orchestrated, he said, by um, the U.S. and France. So all the way up to 2004, you still have the former French colonizer, France, and the new neo-colonizer, the uh, United States, uh, still intervening directly in the country through, you know, the fermenting uh, of these, um, um, you know, military coups. Uh, so, you know, th this wasn't happening that long ago. So when people say, why has Haiti been in this mess? Well, it's been constantly destabilized. That's not to say that if it had been left alone, you know, it would be Switzerland today. Uh, but at the same time, we can't deny that, the, you know, these, this constant uh, destabilization clearly has had a negative influence on Haiti. Um, and so in by 2004, the country is in, you know, uh, um, a lot of uh, <clears throat> chaos. And, um, and so the UN is, um, is, is brought in. And, um, and they... And, and, you know, formally, this is a peacekeeping mission. But um, over the years, uh, what, what emerged was quite disturbing. Um, um, so what emerged was quite similar, in fact, to what has emerged in other, you know, uh, cases of UN peacekeeping missions. Um, widespread sexual abuses um, against the, um, the, the, the local women. We're talking you know, hundreds and hundreds of cases which have been uh, established by numerous uh, organizations. Um, there was even um, an, a sex ring involving minors that was uh, being run by um, certain uh, UN, um, uh, UN representatives. And again, you know, this is not speculative. I mean, this is all, anyone can look this up on Google. Uh, it's been, you know, thoroughly um, established. And um, what's worse is that um, no UN um, representative has ever um, been held accountable for these crimes. Um, and, you know, similar crimes have been committed by UN peacekeeping forces in countries like the um, Central uh, African Republic and other African nations. Uh, and ha there's hardly any, uh, you know, case where UN um, peacekeeping forces, UN soldiers are actually held accountable, brought to court for crimes that they, that everyone knows uh, to have been um, committed. This is probably one of the most um, you know, despicable aspects of this uh, because they effectively enjoy diplomatic um, you know, immunity. Um, and what's worse is that uh, there's actually a, you know, a very heavy culture of secrecy uh, within the UN. So, you know, again, we, we imagine, you know, we, 
we would hope the UN would hold itself up to higher standards than nations. But in fact, uh, that that's not the case. It's probably even naive to think that that should be the case. After all, it is just, uh, you know, um, it represents, you know, nation, nations, states. So uh, there's, no, you know, there's no reason why if, if, you know, it should be, uh, it should have higher um uh, ethical, ethics or morals than uh, than states do, and in fact, we see that it doesn't. Um, there's a the BBC put out a very disturbing documentary a few years ago, which uh, can be found online, which was called The Whistleblowers, and it was about uh, whistleblowers, you know, from the UN that had come out and had uh, spoken about uh, things that they had, you know, very disturbing things that they'd come across uh, during their experience uh, within the UN. Uh, which they had either tried to, you know, bring up to their superiors, only to be, you know, shut down, uh, and that had then gone public about these things and had suffered, uh, you know, very uh, negative reactions from uh, from the the institution um, itself. And this also goes for some people that have, that had come out to speak about these. Um, mostly sexual crimes committed uh, by UN forces in a number of countries, including um, Haiti, which were um, which the UN tried to silence. Um, and then on top of that, we've also got uh, you know, an equally astonishing um, event, which was that um, it, it emerged that well, a, a, a cholera epidemic broke out in 2010 uh, in Haiti, um, where, you know, as a result of which thousands of people died. Um, the, around 10,000 people died as a result of this um, cholera epidemic. And it subsequently emerged, and again, this has been established uh, and has been admitted, in fact, even by the UN itself, that that epidemic was the result of um, uh, a, a UN base essentially dumping waste into um, um, the, the uh, river in, um, in, in Haiti. Uh, and you know this has been um yeah, as i as i said admitted by even by the un itself uh but again the un because it considers itself somewhat above the law it is it has admitted that it has a moral responsibility but not a legal responsibility for what happened which i think says a lot about the uh, you know the way the organization uh, thinks uh, considering that this should be you know the organization that enshrines the principles of international law um and in fact, has denied any compensation um, for the victims. Um, uh, and as far as I know, no victim or victims' families have been compensated uh, for you know ten thousand people who died as a direct result of uh, you know a, a criminal action by uh, UN um, UN forces. Um, and you know the the, <clears throat> the the UN forces remained there for. Um, um, several uh, several years. Um, they left a few um, a few years ago. And what's interesting now is that, as you were mentioning, uh, Haiti is engulfed in a massive uh, wave of violence, gang warfare. The situation is really horrific. I think just yesterday, um, a peaceful demonstration led by a church leader against the gangs that have essentially taken over the island um, was. Um, was um, was fired upon by the gangs themselves. Um, I think about a dozen people died. So it's a state, uh, you know, Haiti at the moment is in a state of complete chaos, complete violence. The government uh, has largely um, lost control um, of the country. It's, it's estimated that large portions of the country and it's virtually the entire capital 
Port-au-Prince are under the gang's control. Um, the government is weak also because this is a government that lacks um, legitimacy. Uh, so just, you know, we forgot that there's another chapter, you know, which um, happened in 2021 where the then, you know, elected leader was um, killed in his home by a group of mercenaries. Um, mercenaries of, uh, it, 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 appear, it would appear, um, because very few people have been, have been brought to trial or to court for this, of Colombian and Haitian-American uh, descendant, descendants. Only one person has actually been sentenced in the U.S., for allegedly, um, you know, setting up this organization, but in fact, again, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of mystery surrounding this murder. We still know very little about the actual motives, uh, the actual backers uh, who might really be behind this murder. All that we know is that once again, uh, a democratically elected leader who wasn't that popular at the time, but was nonetheless a democratically elected leader, uh, violently removed from uh, office. In this case, through murder. Um, and, you know, this and in a strange coincidence, you know, apparently just two days before he had apparently entrusted uh, uh, one um, a politician um, close to him to um, take over in case something happened to him. Uh, but now there are suspicions that um, Henry, which is the, the current prime minister, uh, might himself have been involved in the murder of uh, Moise, so the the, the the president who was killed at the time. Um, so, you know, very, very uh, complex uh, situation, uh, but very, very, this is a very weak government. So opposition forces, civil society uh, organizations uh, do not recognize the legitimacy of this government. They've been calling for elections for a very long time. Um, and in fact, they even accuse him of maybe, you know, playing a role in the violence, using the violence to justify his grip on power. And in fact, even... Uh, calling a foreign military force in order to, you know, strengthen his grip on power and postpone elections. An agreement was made last year to hold elections this year, but at this point, it looks quite unlikely that that's going that that's going to happen. Um, and and so in this mad, you know, crazy situation, which we can probably not even dream of as Westerners, um, the Haitians nonetheless oppose a foreign military intervention because now you know henry is calling uh the current government is calling for a foreign intervention uh it's openly asked the un to send a new peacekeeping mission um it um there's you know discussion about you know which country should lead it but uh guterres the un secretary general has himself made an appeal to um the international community to set up a new peacekeeping uh, force, you know, quote unquote, peacekeeping force to be sent to Haiti. Um, but the people are strongly opposed to it. So when the government first called for this new international force to come to Haiti, uh, people actually took to the streets to say that they didn't want yet another foreign military intervention. They didn't want yet another um, foreign military occup occupation, even if done under the banner of the United Nations, you know, for for the reasons uh, we discussed, of course, you know, they 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 would be even less happy about you know U.S. Marines coming to the island, um, and so I think this speaks to uh, to just you know the the the, the, the um, just how tired Haitians are of this constant uh, meddling in uh, by foreign powers. Uh, they've seen that all these foreign interventions, foreign occupying um, forces have not resolved the problems of the island, even while the UN peacekeeping forces were there, violence you know, continued. Um, and so, you know, even amidst 
you know the 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 violence and the chaos they are still they they are still opposed to a foreign intervention or at least the, you know a large part of the population um is is opposed to this so um you know i think that that says a lot about the complete and utter failure of these uh, interventions and of these missions uh, including the un mission mm. right that's a great account of what's happened there thank you for that we've had some questions coming from the viewers um we've only got a few minutes or so left so we've got from a nexus what's the end game for psychopathic elite oligarchs pulling wef un who strings for destruction of haiti especially what's the end game well i mean i think haiti isn't of course uh i would say at the top of their uh, of their interests um um historically uh there were you know haiti the U.S. intervened in Haiti because it controlled the country's finances, and so it had an interest in defending its financial interests in Haiti, um, and um, and for geostrategic reason, re- reasons as well. Uh, it wanted to set up a naval base there. So there were, you know, quite specific reasons for why the U.S. and France before the U.S. was interested in Haiti. It's quite strategically positioned in the Caribbean, um, you know, along trade routes and, and, and so on and so forth. You know, um, I don't think that uh, the, the, the WEF itself is, uh, you know, that concerned at the moment about what's happening in Haiti. I mean, they've, you know, they've, they've, uh, they, they've played a role in, you know, destroying Haiti in the past. But uh, um, I think in general, they don't uh, look favorably upon any nation uh, wanting to assert its sovereignty. Uh, so this is more of a general problem. I mean, this is a generalized global war against sovereignty, sovereignty and by definition against uh, democracy, because if a country has no sovereignty, uh, you know, the people themselves can never be sovereign. They will never be able to actually, um, you know, decide, uh, you know, take control of their destiny, take control of their fate. And uh, the troubling thing is that this is no longer only true for poor developing countries like Haiti, but it's becoming increasingly true also for highly developed Western countries um, as well. Um, So, you know, I think that this is, you know, so the problems that we face aren't that different at the end of the day from problems that a lot of uh, developing countries um, face. I think we, we witnessed that very clearly, you know, over the past uh, during the pandemic period. Um, so I would say, uh, you know, this is a generalized problem. It's uh, really the peoples of the world against these uh, elites, which, which ultimately are driven by power. Um, I think, you know, power uh, for the sake of power. Clearly, they're not doing it for money. Uh, you know, we're talking about people that have enough money to live, you know, a hundred thousand live, you know, li- live lives over. Uh, it's not about money. I think it's about power for the sake of power. And so there is a psycho, you know, a pathological element uh, there when someone like, you know, Bill Gates, instead of simply enjoying his fortune, you know, spends most of his day devising plans to increase his control over um, over, the, over the countries of the world. Clearly, there's no other way to describe it as a form of uh, pathology. They, When you have all the money in the world, then the only pleasure you can derive, I think, is from power um, itself. But it is in itself a... Uh, um, you know, a, a kind of a, a deviant, <laughs> a form of deviance, um, I think. <clears throat> Fred wants to know what's the overall UN budget, and I'm curious, where mm. does that money come from? Uh, what a UN budget? Um, mostly, I mean, it comes from um, member states. Um, I don't know the uh, the exact amount. Um, 
at the um, at the moment. Um, at the moment, um, I don't believe that private actors play such an important role in the financing of the UN budget, as for example, they do, uh, you know, with the budget of the um, WHO. Uh, we know that the World Health Organization, you know, again, it was started out as an organization, you know, based on member states, um, uh, on, on the financing of member states. And uh, it has seen uh, private actors play an increasingly important role in the funding of the organization. Uh, but if we're, you know, if the UN is entering into partnerships with the WEF and other organizations of the sort, we can expect, uh, I think, the same trajectory to happen also with regard to the, um, to the UN. Um, where the UN, you know, ends up relying increasingly on the, the funding of private stakeholders, um, as as they're called these days, i.e., big corporate, um, you know, interests, and uh, and of course becoming beholden to those interests as a result, uh, just as uh, as 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 is the case with the World Health Organization, which is to to a large degree under the influence of a single man, Bill Gates. Um, and so we can we can imagine, you know, um, I mean, the, the ultimate aim is to control uh, all these organizations. Um, and so uh, I would I would expect that the end plan is ultimately to make these organizations, to make all these international organizations dependent on, um, you know, essentially private um, funding, uh, funding which is then earmarked for projects that the funders themselves um, largely get to decide. Um, and so, you know, this is a, uh, it's a very, very serious problem. I would say that this has already completely corrupted an organization that, you know, could and should play a positive role, such as the World Health Organization, which is now completely under the influence of, um, of, of, of private interests or to a large degree is. Um, but, you know, the same problem goes for a number of, uh, of other organizations, you know, uh, you know, we can, you know, uh, there's a number of these, these, you know, if I'm, I live in Europe, and of course the European Union, you know, suffers from the same problems. You know, I mean, it's a, it's an organization, so, you know, allegedly created to uh, bring countries together to find common solutions to the continent's problems. Uh, in fact, it has become an organization which has fallen completely under the influence and under the control of um, um, corporate and private um, centers of power. And again, we, we saw that very clearly, I think, during, uh, during the pandemic. And so what we see is the corruption and ultimately the, uh, um, the, you know, the, 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 these organizations just being co-opted by, 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 by private power, private wealth. I think this is the main problem. You know, we've allowed too few people to amass too much wealth, too much money. Uh, and this is not an easy pro process to reverse. Uh, and, you know, money equals power. I think when you have so much influence, um, it's, uh, you know, it's hard to put the genie back, back in the box. Uh, you know, I think this is the main problem that we, that we face these days. You know, uh, when you have so much wealth and power concentrated in, in so few hands, you know, how do you reverse that situation? You know, um, uh, how do you stop these people from having near absolute power uh, when they have uh, so much wealth? Um, I think that's a... Uh, you know that that that's a major problem uh which has uh you know totally and utterly corrupted um politics and democracy um i would say even in what we what would be considered to be the most democratic countries in the world i.e the western countries 
Well said, Thomas. Everything that's a force for good in this world, once it reaches critical mass, gets corrupted and co-opted. And looking at Google, General Assembly approved $3.2 million budget for the UN in 2021. Wow. We have run out of time. Thomas, do you want to tell the viewers where they can find you and support you? Um, they can find, I mean, they can look me up on, on, on Google, uh, thomasfatsy.net. Um, uh, and I'm mostly on Twitter these days. So they can find me there. And I'm on Substack uh, as well. So... All of Thomas's links are in the description box below this video, so please support his work. Huge thank you for spending time with us, and you have a great rest of your evening in Italy. Thanks a lot, Sean. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Thomas.